0: What I want to talk about this morning, and, and I, I kind of put this together since 8.30, so you just have to bear with me. Um, I want to talk about revival. Woo! I want to talk about God moving. Um, in particular, we, we, had a, we had a great men's breakfast yesterday morning, and uh, we, we all ate everything off the plate. It was all gone. And uh, in that, we, we got to chatting about something I've been asked lots of questions about the last couple of weeks, which is what is God doing at Asbury and other sorts of other places. Now, some of you gone yeah, I need to know that I've been following that, and some of you go like, is God doing anything? Because you don't do social media, and but if you have been involved with social media, in fact, if you've watched the Seven Hundred Club on TV or whatever, you will know that something. Uh, significant has been happening at Asbury Theological College in the US. And for those who who don't know that because you, you haven't been inundated by everybody on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, I'll explain to you what happened. Basically, Asbury is a theological college uh, in the Methodist tradition. It's a Methodist theological college. Non-charismatic, but with the history of having had a couple of major moves of God in the past, one in 1950, one in 1970, and just over two weeks ago, the students went for a prayer meeting, Uh, the worship was really low key, there wasn't uh, much of a preach, because it was just their normal weekly prayer meeting for the students, and something strange happened, or different happened. What happened was that the students left at the end of the prayer meeting, and then they started all to come back. And they worshipped and prayed without a break for 180 hours solid in the presence of God. And what happened was that the people picked up that that was happening, the news got out, and suddenly everything was across Facebook and Instagram and on the TV and all the rest of it. And... What happened, so where Asprey is, I think this is right, I think it's a town of about three and a half thousand. So if you think somewhere like the size of Milton or Linton or something like that, and in the space of just over two weeks, a hundred thousand people have been through that town visiting, this move of God. Now, that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But the question is, what does it mean for us here? Because it, it's okay, when, when Cheryl and I have been talking about this, we, we've gone like, I'm, I'm going like, okay, this is America, this is Facebook, I don't know what to make of this. But what I pray is that what if God will will endure and what is if man will perish? Yes. Yeah. Because this nation, has drifted so far from God, even our churches have drifted so far from any semblance of encountering God and personal relationship with him and seeing the power of God moving our meetings and as we go out into our everyday lives, that the only thing left for this nation is either a massive move of God a revival, or Jesus is coming back. Either way we win. But I want more souls in the kingdom before He comes back. So I want both. Call me greedy if you like, but I want both. I want, I want to see that. And, and as a church, we've been, we were birthed into the miraculous. We, we were birthed with the message that God still does miracles today, and we, we, we've seen it. We see, we've seen for all of our existence, God healed bodies. Uh, change lives deliver people from oppression set people free and although we're not a big church you in, in the last few weeks we've had six people come to christ in our services Yay. Yay. which which you might think well i didn't notice well you don't do you unless i tell you because you've all got your eyes shut but these are genuine people and we got we got tom's uh, testimony a couple of weeks ago but God is saving our kids at the moment. And that's just so exciting. And so, as 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 a body of believers that believe that God still wants to move in power and does move in power, we need to take seriously what has happened the last couple of weeks. But at the same time, we don't want to get caught up in what is just man. Now, my understanding of what happened is that basically these, these students were worshipping God and praying and repenting of the fact that they had just been drifting through their relationship with him and repenting of stuff that was in their lives and seeking his face. And that is Revival. What follows may or may not be. You know, it, it's easy, and I don't want to try and judge it because I'm not there. And by the way, I don't think anybody needs to go there. I, I, but I, I get upset, and Cheryl seems to be like landing around the house and getting upset, <laughs> because, like guys, like there's well-known names who've gone there, they've stood there, they've judged it one way or the other, <laughs> And you've got meetings where people are repenting on their face, crying out before the Lord at the front. And you've got really famous people taking selfies in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Now, something's gone wrong. God hasn't gone wrong. The guys repenting down the front haven't gone wrong. The man can get hold of anything and mess it up before it starts. And so I'm praying that we haven't messed this up. And I think the fact that they decided after about 15 days that they would shut the meetings to the public is the greatest thing they could have done. Because that's a way that they can protect the purity of what God was doing. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in an interesting place, doesn't it? Because, firstly, we're not theological college students. We're not American. So we, we behave differently, we react differently to things. Um, we don't have a building. And we're not in the same place as those guys are. I mean, spiritually. And so here's, here's my take on it. And, and again, not, I don't want to be seen to be judging anything, but I want us to understand something. Anybody of believers, so this applies to us because this is the body of believers I'm talking to. Anybody of believers can have what they have. Yeah. 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 It's not a disease that's caught, it's not like COVID 19, you don't catch revival. Revival is God's response to repentance and hunger.
1: Yeah.
0: So if we want what they have there our response must be to stir up our hearts towards god and go after him with hunger and if we do that god will move here and then we 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 will think well okay well god's broken out we we we're here we're repenting and whatever we're praying i mean you you know you might break out one thing tonight we might just get on our faces before god and really determine in our hearts he is the one thing that matters is the one thing we want.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if that happens, then we've got all sorts of logistical things. Like where are we going to meet the day after? Now, if it bakes out one thing tonight, that's kind of cool because we'll still be in our house in 180 hours time. And we might just have got to the point where we're trying to work out how to put a marquee on our front
1: lawn.
0: But, That's not my point. My point is that if we're really hungry for God, we'll find a way of doing things so we can continue to meet him face to face. And here's really what I'm saying. We can sign up that we're a church that wants to see the miraculous and we can sign up as a church that says we're hungry for God. But how many of us are going to be there at 6 a.m. on a Wednesday morning setting up if God moves? How many of us will commit to being there every evening? How many of us will commit to being there two hours early to get stuff ready and to pray? So what I'm saying is this. It's not enough to be doctrinally right and it's not enough to have the right idea and 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 claim that we're like in the charismatic end. So we want revival. Because revival is God's response to the hunger in our hearts. So anyone can have revival. That is the power of God being poured out where you are. And the presence of God being there. But there's a cost. And that's usually why we have a problem. That... It just doesn't make that much difference in our lives in the long run because we're not willing to pay the cost. And, and as you know, I've been talking for the last, I guess, 18 months, maybe longer, about paying the price to be in the presence of God in the secret place. Now, we can now examine our hearts and say, so what did I do with that? Am, am I really somebody who wants God to move in my life and in the life of our church? Because what have I done with what he asked me to do and and so what's happened at Asbury should be a, a, a like a, a stirring up of what God has, has placed in our hearts a desire to see him move even more powerfully than we've seen him move yeah. Yeah. and so he's he's my big First point: revival always starts at a personal level, yes. then becomes corporate. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think we need to get the personal level sorted quickly. We really do. We can't we can't put this on the shelf anymore. We we can't talk about how, you know, Christianity is relationship and not religion. Well, here's the thing relationship involves two people and can how much do I know Jesus I don't mean how much do I know about Jesus like how many verses can I quote like how tall was he and did he have long hair short and all those sort of things I mean do you know Jesus do you encounter him are you in his presence when you pray do you hear his voice and when you hear his voice do you do what he asks you to do that's knowing Jesus That's the essence of revival. That's that's what changes nations. And so, you know, God's done with some things that we've done. Church has done for the last 20 years. He's finished with it. If if, if we needed any proof at all of that, it has great. Because the worship songs were like 30 or 40 years out of the day. They didn't have a fantastic worship team. They had a a genuine worship team. They didn't have any lights. They didn't have, like, a charismatic preacher. They just had humble hearts that were willing to repent. It doesn't cost millions to do that. God is done with that. He's done with the show. He's done with the performance. He's done with the worship idol. He's done with the the famous name preachers. He's bypassed them. And we need to decide which side we are going to stand on. Yeah. Are we just going to go for the glitz and empty, empty every church? So we all end up in one or two churches that have all the money, can do the big performance. No. Is that where we want to go? No. Because however much we deceive ourselves, there are less believers in this nation now than when we, when we started down that route in our churches in the UK. Or are we going to stand on the side of humility and repentance and doing what God asks us to do? Cleaning up our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, let me just clarify something to you. And you might have... Got confused about this, particularly if you've been following the Asprey story and the everything story, and watching all your buddies fly in and stand outside in the queues and tell you what their view is about what's happening. The message is not revival. No. The message isn't revival. We, we, we shouldn't be getting excited about revival. Exactly. The message is Jesus. Yeah, it's always been Jesus. Exactly. And if we start making it, I've got a revival here. Oh, something exciting is happening here. We've got a duplicate. We've got a third. We've got a fourth. We've got a fifth. And it's all the talk is about revival. We've missed the whole point of what God started in the first place. Yeah. He's calling us to draw near to him, seek his face to let him change our hearts get rid of the stuff that we don't want that's in there and turn our hearts to him yeah. so that he comes back for a spotless bride <clears throat> you see it's so easy isn't it to get and and even will be I mean, she shared some of her birthing issues with us this morning. But it's so easy to get caught up in the mechanism or the birthing process of what God wants to do
1: and end up
0: trying to have the mechanism for ourselves. When when somebody goes into labour, when the birthing starts, the great prize is the child. It's the son. Other the daughter. And it's the same with what God does with believers. The great prize is Jesus himself. Not the meetings. Not, can I come and watch? I think it's fantastic that... You know, all these famous people apparently rang up House said, can I come and minister? I'd love to come and help you out. And every single one was told, yes, you can come, you can sit at the back and you can be like everybody else. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well done then.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, we cannot build for our own success on what God intends for our humility. You know it's it's in the hearts of worshipers it's in the hearts of the hungry that the seed of the word of god takes root and grows and brings forth a harvest it's not in the meeting here's where i think god's heading because this is where he says he's heading in his word He's, produ- he's intending to produce a bride worshiping the bridegroom, wholly committed to him, wholly engaged with him, wholly sold out to him, 100% for him, with their hearts for him. Because that's the bride that says, come Jesus. Yeah. The bride that's dealt with the stuff that we don't want to deal with, the stuff that we've, justified to ourselves. The stuff that we've put preachers up front to twist scripture into something that it isn't. It's, you know, the biggest revival that happened in the Bible. Sorry, I've got the Bible bit now. Because as you know, we're a church that is a word church and it's really important. Everything we do is based in the word. But the biggest revival you see in um, the New Testament, obviously, after Jesus, is in a church in a place called Ephesus. I don't, I don't know if you, you've, you've ever looked at that, but basically what happens in Ephesus is Paul comes to this city called Ephesus, and um, he does what he does in every other city. He finds some disciples there, get some converts, he, he prays for them, he baptises them in water, and then he, they get baptised in the Spirit. And what we find is that the Spirit came upon them. So they've turned to Christ, they've repented, and the Spirit comes upon them. There's now 12. That's how Paul started in Ephesus. Now, Paul has a problem in Ephesus... And that's, you know, there's all sorts of things that we find in, in the writings around that. They're a bit confusing if you don't understand what's going on in Ephesus. Because Ephesus is where eventually Timothy ends up leading the church and you get all sorts of stuff. But in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is right there in the middle of the city. And it's called the Temple of Artemis, or Diana if you're Roman. And she's a fertility goddess. And she, it's this Artemis temple. Men aren't allowed to get involved with it. All the worship is through women priests and eunuchs. And the whole of their economy is built around the sacrifices to this this, Artemis, Diana. And... uh, you know, right around the temple, there's people selling all sorts of things and making things and little icons of Artemis and all the rest of it. And the whole thing's totally perverted. And into that, that's where Paul and the 12 carrying the power of the Spirit go. Now, if that was us today, we wouldn't have a revival unless we're going to learn some lessons. Because what we'd do is we'd set up apologetics groups to discuss with them what they believe and we believe and we'd attack them through their politics and their forums and tell them everything they're doing wrong and we might even take some of them to court. Paul never once attacked the worship of Artemis. Never mentioned it. Isn't that weird? What did he do? Through the power of the Spirit he got people saved. Until there were so many people getting saved that the society had to change. And what happened was the economy collapsed because people stopped buying all the stuff around the temple. We've got, we've got a full-scale revival on our hands, full-scale move of God. And, and you know, what happens is this. That, do you remember the story of where <coughs> Paul sends his handkerchiefs out, praise of handkerchiefs, sends them out, and people get delivered of demons and they get their bodies healed? That's Ephesus. Do you remember the story about uh, what they call the sons of Sceva? Who see the power of God and want to buy it and want to use it. And they try and get somebody delivered and the demons laugh at them and say, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but we've no idea who you are. You cannot ride on the back of this thing to create something for yourself on Facebook and Instagram. That's a son of Sceva spirit. It is. Sorry, the Holy Spirit just dropped that on me there, so i a bit shocked by that. Well, that's, that's the Spirit. Here's what it, it says. It said that basically when the Holy Spirit had dealt with these sons of Sceva and had run away from these demons, it says, fear fell on everyone and Jesus was magnified. And then we find out many who believe were confessing and telling their deeds. Repentance those who practiced magic brought all their magic books and burnt them on a big bonfire. And it said the amount of those magic books was valued at 50,000 pieces of silver. That's about three billion today. That's how the economy was so dependent on. And then it says, "So this, this is how the word of God grew and prevailed in Ephesus." So you've got this church burst in this move of God. Roll forward forty years to Revelation, and Ephesus reappears. Ephesus is right there too—the letters to Timothy and the letters. To Ephesus is the letter to the Ephesian church because one of the things Paul says is guys before he leaves Ephesus he says guys I'm gathering you all together and here's what's going to happen here's what you've got to guard against because immediately as soon as I've gone people are going to come in this church and they're going to corrupt what God's doing and they're going to try and draw you to themselves And create something for themselves that is not Jesus. And eventually we get to the point where he writes to Timothy and he said the end result of all this is people are going to fill their churches by telling people exactly what they want to hear all the time and making them feel good about themselves. And we're going to build churches. On the basis of telling people you can have an amazing life. Just live your best life now. Just turn to Jesus and your life will be so much better. Do you know that is not the gospel? But you would think it was. You know, some people have come to me over the last six months or so, and they've said things like, well, you don't need to, you, you shouldn't really tell anything, say anything that's challenging. You just need to tell people how amazing they are, how wonderful they are. And in a school like this, you can you can see that, I don't know if you wander around sometimes, but there's little things telling you, you're 40 shades of amazing, and all these sort of things. As if we can talk ourselves into being amazing. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. It's not about having my best life now. It's not even about all the fantastic things Jesus is going to do for me. And and trust me, I believe that God wants to bless us and he loves us and, and he does amazing things. But that's not what the gospel is. That's because he loves me. It's the gospel. It's not about you at all. It's about Jesus. And if you're truly saved, you died. If you haven't died yet, you're not saved. If you're not willing to do what Jesus asks of you, you're not saved. And... And Paul says, that's the end result. Just before Jesus comes back, we've got churches telling people how amazing they are, saying exactly what people want to hear in order to fill the churches. And he says there's a danger in that. It's not the gospel. It's another gospel that is not birthed in Christ. It's birthed in humanism that's invaded the church. And it's devoid of power. We put that in our churches because we're not seeing the miracles, because we're not hungry enough, and we're not willing to repent, and we're not willing to lay down our lives. And so Jesus comes along, and he writes, it's one of the letters to seven churches, and he comes along, and he says to the church at Ephesus, if you want to go and read it, it's in Revelation chapter 2, I haven't got time to read it, because we've got lots that we're doing this morning. But he comes along, and he says, Guys, you've done great, you've sorted out all those doctrinal issues, you spotted when people were were teaching wrong stuff and you've achieved loads of really good things and you've been kind and you've helped the poor and you've run social programmes and you've run classes And you've done all those things. So well done, guys. And then he says, But I've got something against you. You've got a problem. Because in doing all of that, you have lost your first love. You were doing the things, but you forgot about me. I'm the reason that you're saved. And sometimes that's a bit of a shock to people that Jesus is the reason we get saved. They think, well, going to heaven is the reason I get saved. Forgiveness of my sins is the reason I get saved. No, Jesus said, that, let me quote you the most famous, so, lot of you heard me say this before, let me quote you the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that all who believe in him might not perish, but have eternal life so what is the reason jesus came so that we would have eternal life and not perish that's all fine is it well that's all right that's i'm going to heaven that's good i get to live forever great but then jesus really throws a spanner in the works a few chapters later in john when he says let me tell you what eternal life is because it's not enough to say So that you might have eternal life. You actually have to know what eternal life is. And Jesus said, eternal life starts right here and now. And this is eternal life. That you know me and the Father who sent me. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you're not enjoying eternal life. However much you think you might end up in heaven, you're not enjoying eternal life because the purpose Jesus came was relationship with you. And, you know, when we get... When we when Jesus died, he dealt with all the kind of rules and religion and all that sort of stuff and fulfilled it. And the Bible says that's now obsolete. And there's a lot of people who will go around and say, well, therefore... That's all fine. I can do whatever I like, and it doesn't really matter. And it doesn't, you know, this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, etc., etc. God loves me, and and yes, He does love you. God loved you before you were saved. That's a stupid question to ask. If He loved you before you were saved, and now you were saved, then I mean, He definitely loves you. It's a stupid question. If we've been scriptural, but sometimes we're not. Is this a bit strong for you?
1: No, No, we're we're all all all
0: all Here's the thing. Jesus saved us so that we could have relationship with him. Relationship doesn't work on rules. That's why we don't have the law anymore. But nobody's going around suggesting it's okay to murder now. Are they? Because we don't have the law. Nobody's gone around suggesting all the things that are named as bad things in the law, we should now all do. But some people have the idea, it doesn't matter what we do, because everything's okay. They don't understand that whilst there is no law anymore, we're in a new covenant. And that new covenant, New Testament, is called relationship. So if I want to draw close to God, because James tells me if I draw close to him, he'll draw close to me. If I want to see God move in my life, if I want to have the eternal life Jesus promised me, I need to deal with the stuff in my heart and the stuff that I'm doing that he's asked me not to do to get it out of the way so there's nothing coming between us. Otherwise, I'm holding back on the relationship. It's not him, it's me. Because I'm saying I want relationship with you, Jesus, but I'm not willing to do the things you ask me. <coughs> Let me put it this way again. This is, this is the way it works. Let's say uh, I want a good relationship with Cheryl. I have a really good relationship with Cheryl. with a, a date night this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now she's recovered. <laughs> Now imagine we didn't have a day night this week. And my normal days, I get up and I go out and I do some work and then I go down the bookies and spend like 50 quid on gambling. And then I go out for lunch and have a few pints and stuff myself with like burger and chips. And then I do a bit more work. And then I come home and I look at Cheryl and go, Where's my tea? <laughs> I'm going to watch the telly. I'm so tired. And then at 10 o'clock at night, I think, oh, I've got to get up for work tomorrow. I'm going to bed. Night, show. Now, if I did that, what would my relationship be like? Terrible. No. Terrible. We're in relationship. We do things that please the one we say we love. That's eternal life. And that's what these guys in Asbury do, realising, actually, I need to get my life sorted because it's not pleasing to Jesus. You know, Cheryl asked this this amazing question the other day, and it it actually broke my heart. When, When you think about it, it's just like, wow. Because we have so put the gospel to be about us, that we talk all the time about how much Jesus loves us and how much God loves us. The real question, because that's (laughs) never in doubt. It's just wrong question. The real question is, today, does Jesus feel loved by me? Does he feel loved by me? That's the question that sparks revival. Does he feel loved by me? Because Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, Your problem is, I don't feel loved by you. You're doing all these great things, and yet I don't feel loved by you. And that's an issue for me. So Jesus says, This is how you're going to solve the issue. This is what happens in a true movie of God. This is what gets us back to our first love. See, first love isn't just how much did you love Jesus the day you got saved, because that's called gratitude. First love is where Jesus is first. First in everything. That's first love. So what do you do? Well according to Jesus, this is what you do. I'm going to come up with some really unpopular words now. Number one. Again, this is Revelation chapter two. Number one. Repent. I I put something on Facebook the other day about repenting and the fear of the Lord, and I got such a backlash about people from people who said you don't have to repent anymore. God loves you anyway.
1: So, back to my burger and chips
0: <laughs> illustration, my points of beer in the gambling. I never tell Cheryl that I'm sorry for screwing up our relationship. How does that work for me? How does that go? Because we're in relationship, not religion. It doesn't, does it? It's a stupid thing. It's like, I don't want to do anything that requires me to have any responsibility to change. Because God always loves me. Yeah, we've done that one. Stupid question. The question is, are you pleasing to God? And does Jesus feel loved by you? Because you're supposed to be dead. It's supposed to be a new creation that leaves all that stuff behind, even when your flesh doesn't want to leave it behind. So we repent. And people will say, so this is what i got. Well, all that... Neuhenis means a Greek word, metanoia. Yeah, I know that. I'm a pastor. I've done that study. And that just means changing your mind. So we're all okay. We just sit there and change our mind. No, what you're telling me is you're not willing to take responsibility for your life changing. So you're going to wait until something from the ether changes your mind. Or you're just going to keep reading the Bible until something changes your mind. The Bible, without the Holy Spirit, won't change your mind, it will make you a Pharisee. You need the power of the Spirit even when you read the Word. Mm -hmm. Metanoia means changing your mind, but you you change your mind away from something. So now tell me what you're going to change it towards. What? Because if you're not going that way, which way are you going? It's not the case if you change your mind and you stand there. You turn around and you go in the opposite direction. Now, where are you walking? You're walking towards Jesus. That's repentance. Jesus, I don't want anything in my life that's going to come between me and you. That's my first love. We were talking about this at the men's breakfast yesterday morning. And go, right, like, well, what do we repent of? We've done I've repented of like all the big things. And and hopefully we're all a lot looking a lot more like Jesus' bride than when we set off on this journey. Yeah? Even if we've only been on the journey for a week or we've been on the journey for a lifetime. Hopefully we're starting to look a bit more like Jesus' bride. <laughs> So all the big things might be dealt with. We have one massive sin that is stopping God move in this nation. It doesn't even sound like a sin when you say it. Do you want to know what it is?
1: Yes.
0: is the massive sting that is stopping God move in this nation. Indifference. Indifference to him. So Jesus says, repent of the indifference, return to me. And then he says this, put me at the center. How do you do that? You get in a secret place with him, one-on-one, and you deal with what heaven he's dealing with. That's what these these young guys at the theological college were starting doing, dealing with stuff in their life until they dealt with it. The next thing Jesus says and again, this is sin number two on my list of why it will stop us having revival, is pride. Jesus says the whole mark of being right with him is humility. It's when people see him and he gets the glory, not you. We have to build churches where it's not about stars. Where we ship people in to get people to come. It's important we do everything really well. As well as we can. It's important we practice. It's important we study. It's important we do lots of things. But in the absence of the anointing, it will not change anything. It will gather a crowd, but it won't necessarily change hearts. Because when we build things that are about people, it ceases to give the glory to Jesus. I just think it's really odd that we've convinced ourselves that we need to do church that looks better than a Coldplay concert in order to get somebody saved. You see, Jesus, when he talked to the disciples before he went to heaven, didn't say, hey guys, do a great concert. He said, you guys who have raised the dead, cast out demons, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, been with me for three and a half years, One of you's walked on water. You've fed 5,000 people. You guys aren't qualified to do church. You need the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, you can't do this. And yet, throughout this entire land, we think we can do church without the Holy Spirit. (coughs) If you hear me say anything challenging this morning, That's the Holy Spirit. Not my words. My words are just me being my normal annoying self. (laughs) But if something's got in your heart and you think, I need to deal with that, then that's the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. That's the anointing that brings people into the kingdom. Like, how many many people have we had come into the church over the last few months say, like, Tom... I wasn't even coming to this church. I came to the wrong church by mistake and just ended up getting saved. I mean, what do you do? That's the Holy Spirit. He gets people to be where the anointing is. Repent. Put Jesus back at the centre. Humility. And then the last thing. And this will determine where we go after the events of the last couple of weeks. Jesus has to get the glory. Yeah. If men of a place, of a denomination, or a ministry get the glory, then that's a sign that men got hold of what God was doing. If Jesus gets the glory, and we talk about Jesus, then we get the message right. And he gets the glory and we see the power of god bring people into the kingdom heal bodies deliver people set people free and change lives amen amen let's stand father i want to thank you i want to thank you That you haven't given up on your people. That despite the fact we've managed to do so many things without you, you still want to do things with us. And so Father, I praise you and I worship you. And Jesus, I glorify you because you're worthy of all praise. Lamb upon the throne, you gave your life for me. you through your spirit, Lord, if there's stuff in me that's in my in the way of my relationship with you, I ask you to just show me it, and I ask you to get it out of the way. I choose to yield myself to your Holy Spirit, to do that work in me. Thank
1: you, Holy Spirit.
0: Praise you. want you to quietly as individuals I just want you to whatever God's put on your heart I just want you to deal with it now with him. Just pray just wait as long as you need Say pray just deal with whatever God's put there that you need to deal with this morning before you walk out of here and before you go for your coffee. Thank you Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Glory to you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. If you want to deal with stuff with Jesus just do it if anybody wants prayer or wants somebody to pray with you there'll be uh, some over near the prayer banner just go and get prayer from them and then when you've done whatever you want to do with Jesus uh, you can have coffee you can go home but it doesn't stop just by leaving the building remember what happened at Asbury he's the left and then they came back because they wanted to deal with stuff truthfully on an ongoing basis because they wanted a relationship with Jesus.